Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in K-12 ed tech. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. This month's conversation is produced in conjunction with eSchool News' December Guide on Blended and Online Learning, which you can obviously find up online at eschoolnews.com. This microsite is packed with resources with titles such as Five Ways to Create a Stellar Online Elementary Learning Program, How to Prioritize Social Growth During Online Learning, Five Tips to Keep Online Students Motivated, and plenty more. There certainly isn't a lack of discussion when it comes to this topic. As schools continue to grapple with learning challenges and teacher shortages post-pandemic, technology has become more important than ever. A report released this month called Building Back Stronger, New Thinking in Technologies Reshaping Education, delves into the myriad ways K-12 schools are embracing different methodologies and cutting-edge technologies to support students following a period of declining academic success. I had the chance to chat with one of the authors, Christopher Klein. He's an education consultant for Advances Education, who were sponsors of the paper. Uh, I thought it was a great conversation. Always enjoy spending time with Chris. Have a listen. Okay, Chris, thanks again for joining me. This is our first rodeo here. Been having some great conversations over, uh, I won't date ourselves how many years, but it's been a while. So welcome back. Thank you very much, Kevin. Glad to be here. And in this instance, I guess we're, we're kind of talking at the same time where you folks have dropped some some data out into the world just this week with a report called Building Back Stronger, New Thinking and Technologies that are Reshaping Education. Maybe we can start off and you can just talk a little bit about the report and what the results came about. Yeah. So I think the big thing, the reason why this report was necessary is, you know, we've been doing this for a while now. We're no longer a spin-up company that had a cool product that came out there. We've established ourselves over the last six years. We've really gone deep. We, we've seen what's happening in education. We weathered the storm from COVID. We saw how things have both responded from a classroom and pedagogical aspect, but also from a financial aspect with the ESSER funding and things like that. And as we sat back, we looked at our growth pattern as a company and myself also as a professional is we've got information that we can share. It's not just about slinging a product. It's not just about trying to move boxes. We actually have been able to benefit by being in 80 different countries and learning what other educators and what other education systems are doing. So we said, let's take this opportunity. It's been a while since we've gone back to the well and, and put on our talking heads hat. And let's actually say, this is what we see happening. This is the direction we see going. We we're doing this not just from our marketing pitch, but we're doing it from the stuff we're actually seeing happening in the real world. Let's see if we can help educators feel better about their choices, maybe make some more informed choices, and really start to chart this path for the next iteration of what EdTech's going to be. Yeah. You cover a variety of subjects that we can't really all hit upon in one 20-minute podcast. But one that I, I want to kind of focus on was in one of the chapters, you, you bring out one of the the classic ed tech catchphrases of flipping the classroom, which um, that goes back at least 10 years and talks about a different modality of learning, right? And when that first came out, it was it was pretty radical. 
March 2020 comes around and the concepts of the flipping the classroom or remote learning or blended learning or online learning, whatever phrases that you want to talk about, became a stark reality in about 10 days. And it turned into this great, the, the greatest beta test in, in education history. Talk a little bit about where you, since that time, where some of those innovations have come and what kind of sets the table for going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you. We did cover a wide range in, in our white paper. Um, obviously, there's a lot that's actually happening right now, which is both scary, but it's also comforting to know that people are still investing their time, effort, energy, and smarts towards what we can do better. So everything from AI to, as you said, the flipped classroom model, which is not anything new. Um, this has been around at, for quite some time, as you said. I've always learned that education in the United States is very much like not driving a speedboat. It's very much like driving a pretty much an ocean liner. I mean, you could start to turn the wheel, but it's going to take a long time for you to actually be able to get the entire mass of the industry moving in a direction. So quite often, what we find is what's being implemented today is actually coming out of research and development in think tanks from 30 years ago. The flipped classroom model is something that's been around for a while, but it took a little bit of time for people to kind of wrap their head around it because we were so locked into the traditional front of class, one-to-many type of direct instructional model. There's a place for that. I'm not saying that one is necessarily always better than the other, et cetera, but the core of what that flipped classroom model really boiled down to is when you have students in class, why aren't you doing more with the students in class when you have them in your immediate proximity? We always joke about in the industry, well, that meeting could have been a PowerPoint. That meeting could have been an email. Yeah. How many classroom sessions could be a PowerPoint, could be a recorded video? could be something that you don't have to be synchronous. You don't have to be in the same space to look at the bulleted list, to hear the same things that the teacher's going to say. If the teacher took the same amount of time instead of as a former social studies teacher that taught five sections of the same course, instead of me repeating it five times a day, why don't I record it once and then spend my time when I have the students in class actually doing something about it, doing something with that data? Instead, the model typically traditionally has been, I'm going to tell you what you need to do, and then you go off on your own and do it. And then you come back the next day, and I tell you what you did wrong. The flipped classroom model and what was brought about and really sort of um, put on steroids by COVID was, no, I'm going to tell you about it when you're away from class. And then when you come into class, that's a work session. Let me actually sit down next to you. Let me assist you when you have the problem so you don't have to write down your questions to ask in class tomorrow. Let's address it then and there. Let's do it in the heat of the moment. Let's do it when that learning is raw and taking place. You can listen to me talk anytime, but when we're together, that's when the magic needs to happen. And as you said, COVID I've used this term quite a bit. Uh, I may have used it previously with you, but COVID to me was the big chair tip moment of the 21st century, basically, for education, which is when you lean back on your chair and you lean a little bit too far and all of a sudden you catch yourself and your heart jumps up into your chest or your heart jumps into your throat, 
that's what COVID kind of was because all of a sudden, within 10 days, as he said, we realized what we were not prepared for. And so then we spent time, effort, energy, professional development, money onto building so we could never be put in that situation again. Yeah. So we have put the money into it. We have put the capital into it. It did force us to say, well, now you're going to do record self-recording. You're going to handle that. So now we've got teachers that are much more familiar with putting themselves on camera, putting their voice on audio, using their built-in webcams, et cetera, doing all of this pre-canning it up front that they had to do for distance learning. Now they're doing it for in-class learning, but there's change in the way it's being delivered. Let's use work time for work time. You can research on your own outside of class. And it seems to me that, you know, you don't want to ever experience a pandemic, but there are some silver linings that came out of it. One of the big things is a, a change of behavior. Now, maybe for the students, it didn't seem as much of a change of behavior. I mean, this is the way they always done it, right? But maybe, right. maybe the behaviors came up at the faculty side of things. It really did. I think that the students have grown up already accepting the fact that they look at pre-tanned or pre-created, pre-moderated materials to find out whatever it is they want to find out. And we talked about that in education quite a bit, where if a student wants to learn something, they're, the last thing they're going to be held back by is the teacher. They will go and find what they want to find because they've got Google, because they've got YouTube. I look around and I'm like, well, do you know how to change that electrical outlet? No, but I got a video right here on YouTube that I can watch. It's going to walk me through how to do it because I don't need to know it because I'm not an electrician, but I need to know it right now. I know how to find that data. So students have been very comfortable with that. Teachers have been in a situation where they don't like to necessarily be on record. I think, you know, there's a certain protection to when I close the door of my classroom, what happens inside that classroom with that group of students, what we talk about, how we talk about it, it sort of is, it sort of is a protected space to a certain degree. Whereas when you start pre-recording, when you start pre-canning and pre-curating your content, you have to then be able to stand alone out of context. And that was a big sort of switch that teachers had to kind of go through in their head. Well, if I say this, is it going to come back to haunt me later? Because now it's recorded. Now I know that's going to be the case. But I think as they've gone back to their roots, back to their expertise and knowledge in the content, it, that's become less of a concern. Maybe the next big hurdle is we need to get the parents to really get on board with this concept because the students want to learn this way. The teachers are learning to teach this way. The parents are the ones that are kind of still at that, wait, you're doing what? Wait, you didn't have to go to class today? What, that was your homework? And Because it doesn't fit the model that they have in their head instead sure. from the 14 years of primary education that they went through when they were young. Yeah, and I, you know, looking at the higher ed space, this has, has matured much more quickly. And maybe it's as a result of the age of the students, Maybe it's because you know, you, you're you talking about, depending on the institutions, you know, a private institution, we have a certain number versus some of the politics that get caught up, especially in, in public K-12 education. And you talk about parents and those parents, the ones who may be the most passionate about it might even be on the school board, right? And so you have to make the convincing arguments there, which is a whole other kettle of fish. 
Yeah, it's funny because I remember my daughter's in college right now, and I was talking to her, oh, I remember my freshman year, the first psychology class I took, I was in a lecture hall with 350 other students and, and all of that. I look at her schedule and three out of her five classes are online. I'm like, it is, it is a starkly different scenario for her than it was for me. And I'm not, again, saying that one is better, one is worse. I think we have to embrace the fact that it's just different now. And the offerings can be much different as a result of that. And it goes back to really that infrastructure. The infrastructure that was in place has been upended, has been moved, has been migrated toward, toward much more of a digital presence, a persistent digital presence, as opposed to a once in a while you're going to have a guest speaker dial in via uh, video conferencing. Uh, now, no, you're, you may never even meet your uh, adjunct professor. He might be four states away. It doesn't really matter. And that's really interesting because it's also leveled the playing field between what's available in the higher ed space as opposed to and what's available in the K-12 space. Because I do see, I definitely think that moving into the near future, we're going to see as we if we see qualified good teachers leaving the profession for a multitude of reasons, we see school districts having to stretch their dollars in other ways. And whereas you used to think, well, okay, maybe there would be a school that would have Russian as a language. That might be one high-end private school, et cetera. Now, if you take a look at that as content that can be delivered in a virtual way across multiple different platforms, you have essentially freelance teachers that could be hired by multiple schools, no longer necessarily driven by the geography. And you could have you you could look at where K-12 could say, well, we don't have a, you know, romantic uh languages teacher, but We've got someone that is already running classes and we can purchase the attendance for our students into those classes and we can still give them the Carnegie units of credit to go along with that towards our graduation, which means that, again, the students can learn more of what they want to learn and they're not being limited by the resources, the immediate physical resources of what the school or school district is able to offer. Now, when you... Our listeners who are leaders in school districts around the country are looking at this scenario. Let's assume that post-pandemic, everyone has some sort of blended learning, flipped classroom history now. Maybe some have gone back to the way it was before. Uh, maybe some have incorporated these things in. What is your advice for taking those experiences and 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 codifying them to where this is something that could be more standard state across a school or across a district? Well, I think there's a couple of answers to that. Uh, number one is remember everything is cyclical and everything takes a long while to actually embed itself into education. It doesn't have to be a baby in the bathwater scenario. So it's okay to take a small group of students, a small subset, a test case, and try to test out the waters to see how it works. Uh, I think back to when I was a video broadcasting teacher, I had 13 students. 
Now, granted, I was not in a very large school district at the time, but I only had 13 students. One class I taught while the rest of my time was doing district work, but one class of 13 students. It was very much a test run. It doesn't have to be an entire full-blown curriculum run for 40% of the student population. Look at ways that you can explore this, protect it, because it is a small group of students. It's easier to get a small group of parents on board as well because they are part of the learning community. So even though you may want to try something new, if you don't have the parents as part of that education community on board with it, it's going to be very challenging for you to actually show success because you'll be fighting an uphill battle. So keep it small, keep it focused, and leverage the people that have come before you. You know, you go back to the Florida Virtual High School. There's lots of people that have been exploring this for 10, 15 years. And whereas they may not have the exact recipe for success for your full organization, for your full institution, there are things to look at. There are state-level organizations now that are looking at sharing pools of resources, of teachers, things like that. Look at your education service centers. Look at your co-op talk to them you will find that there are small groups out there that are doing this and we're not talking big needle ships here we're talking about you don't use a standardized textbook heaven forbid that used to never be the case now you're able to go and find smaller bits of material that are mostly digital that are delivered on a digital platform 10 years ago that wasn't heard of in k-12 education now you're just looking at saying well we've got third-party content now we're also getting third-party instruction. Maybe it's one of your teachers that's offering it just locally within your own school system. I have a Latin teacher that teaches that is based at the school, but we're also going to see what if we have teachers or students from other schools within the district joining in. So you're still keeping it within your study framework. And if you physically need to move to be with the students, you can do that. But you're starting to test the waters, and I think that we're going to see a lot of people shifting to this. And the nice thing about it is if we do it in a secure testbed environment, rapidly prototyping out this type of educational approach, we're going to be able to make the pivots that we need to as opposed to completely throwing away um, a student's 24 credits that they would normally have gotten that that calendar year and then put them in a bad situation with with the state and diplomas and things like that keep it small keep it focused start somewhere but i think you need to start that's the key well chris as always tons of insights for our listeners and for our readers i appreciate the report that just came out building back stronger new thinking and technologies reshaping education you'll see a link to where you can download it here on the page with with the podcast. Always enjoy our conversations and uh, look forward to the next one. Chris, hope to see you in person, maybe at FETC. I will definitely be there. I look forward to it, Kevin. And that's all there is for this month's episode of eSchool News' Innovations in Education. See the link below where you can download the white paper entitled Building Back Stronger, New Thinking and Technologies Reshaping Education. Also, be sure to check out the December Guide to Online and Blending Learning up at eschoolnews.com. Please subscribe for more episodes. You can find these on whatever favorite podcast platform you happen to use. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays and Happy New Year.